Karma fam. Hi, Karma fam. Hello, hello. Happy December. Right, because we're releasing this December 1st. We're releasing this December 2nd, so... So it's Britney Spears' birthday. Happy birthday, Britney <laughs> Spears! <laughs> Isn't that so sad? I know that. No, it, it's not sad. I'm I'm a huge Britney fan. So what does that mean? What sign is she? So she is a... Um, looking it up. Uh-huh. So we're looking it up. A Sag. A Sagittarius. Okay. Yeah. So she's a Sag. I don't really know. She was born in 81. So she is actually going to be 39. Wow. Britney is almost 40. I know. Didn't, doesn't she kind of seem like she would be like in her 20s forever? <laughs> yeah, I think it's funny because I think everyone has like the Britney Spears. Like when you think about Britney Spears, you think of a certain era. Yeah, yeah. Of her. Like for me, I think of her with like a, a chin length like hair and she's in the Pepsi ad. Is it the is it the era of the snake? Yeah, but for some maybe it's might be a, like around that time and she's in the Pepsi ad and I think she was doing like the got milk. So it's like basically when I was in high school. Yeah. Yeah. What when you think of Britney Spears what do you what era flashes? I think the very beginning like oops I did yeah. it again because that yeah. like I would see her I would see her on that show. What was it like the Donnie and Marie show? The Donnie and are you Jessica and Nick? Oh no, no. Donnie and Marie. It was like Donnie and Marie Osmond? Yes. They were they brother had a and show sister. The, they, yeah, had a, they had, they had another show. show in the nineties. I think it was on like UPN or something. <laughs> what? UPN. But they're white as hell. <laughs> yeah. They're white and Mormon having a show on UPN in the nineties. Maybe it was the WB. Maybe. I, I don't, don't know. know. I just remember Britney going on their show and them showing the video and like this whole like it was just like, wow, she's such a sex symbol. I know. It's like totally 16 years old sex symbol (laughs) sold out by her parents. Yeah. No one to look over her. I mean, all learned. And this is like, so we wanted to let you all know that um, we have a lot of content that's going to be coming out right. this month Thrown because out. last week we did our like holiday preview of things that you can watch that you might be interested in South Asian pop culture. And we did not know when we recorded that, right. that the fabulous lives of Bollywood lives would oh be dropping on Netflix on I was November 27. a heart attack on Friday. <laughs> <laughs> and I sent it to you. And thank you to our Twitter feed who yes. shouted us out about it. Um, so we're going to be recapping two episodes at a time, probably, yeah. of that. It's eight episodes long. Um, so that's going to be really fun. This is like, it's like everything we want. It's Bollywood and the housewives combined. Right. And there's <laughs> drama with oh. production. Oh. Like not to mention, you don't know that. Well, wait, there was something you sent me, but I can't remember what it was. It's like, so I think it's called like Dharma Productions, and we'll talk about it further in the first episode, but mm-hmm. th- he didn't like, the person who owns that doesn't like the title. 
Oh, oh, he said that they're like stealing it or something. Yeah, or... we'll go into it because I have um, to read up about it a little more. So make sure you're subscribed so that you get all those recaps. Are and be tell awesome. a friend. Tell a friend for sure. Um, and But today we're mm. going to give you part one of a two part. We're going to split this interview into two parts because it it was quite long. Juicy. Actually. We had a long I, I thought you were going to say juicy. <laughs> it was juicy and long so um we spoke with elise slain from real housewives of new york season 12 um fan favorite of many fan straight talker straight talker like to like that's the first thing you'll notice about her i think in this interview is that she just says it like it is she doesn't hold anything back um we find out in the interview that she she basically was is like she's just like she's like fuck you bravo she's like she's like fuck you to a lot of stuff yeah she's like (laughs) i'm gonna say whatever i want yeah and she's going on all these podcasts and she has her own stuff and she's just she's saying whatever she wants so we like got the tea when it comes to her entire relationship with ramona pretty and we should talk about how you and I have never really get nervous before interviews <laughs> yeah. and we were texting each other before this interview of how nervous we were. And then the minute, so the other funny thing, and I didn't include it in the episode, but you should know that when we, so we connected, we sent Elise this like link to connect. It's basically like a chat room that she can enter at any time. And she, her husband, Reinhold, mm-hmm. <laughs> comes on and he's like, hello. He's like I know. This jolly German man who is so nice and approachable and then um, and handsome and handsome. So we find out about her relationship with him, her past relationships with others. And Elise was just like she was so gracious and nice. And like, yeah. I feel like. She's the nerves just, went out the window for me. Yeah, I think that what I what I picked up on, especially listening back to it, is that she really cares about her fans, like yeah. in a way that it isn't just like, oh, I I want people to like me. It's like, oh, how can I help you become a better person in some way? Like, how can I be of service to you? And right. I I just think that's really admirable. Well, and especially um, we see so much of these women on TV in the housewives mm-hmm. um, realm pulling each other down. Yeah, totally. Just and knocking, like, I mean, like I was listening to Giselle talk about um, Karen. Oh no. And all, you know what I mean? And all yeah. like the ventures that Karen started and again, that's Potomac if you're not following. And it's just like these women in their testimonials. I feel yeah. like that's what a testimonial is, is like, okay, so this woman thinks she's hot shit. Let's pull her down. Yeah. Go after her. And yeah. like the thing with Elise is like, and she tells us like in the whole debacle with Ramona is like mm. she was trying to not make it into a thing. But in the end, it was just their relationship had to break down because Ramona's a narcissist. So, yeah, true. Um, Textbook. Yeah. So we know that like this interview is maybe a little bit off topic from our normal content, but it was it was just such a really it's such an inspiring conversation also because she is like she really like pulled herself up by her bootstraps mm-hmm. like to make it to where she is. She's totally self-made and like 
she tells a whole story of like her first jobs in New York City, being homeless for a little while to like getting to where she is now and being like super successful. Um, But also like how she's managed to stay real and like not compromise her values and her morals along the way and um it's and just she has a lot of opinions and she has a I, lot of opinions. i love a, an opinionated woman i think we yeah. <laughs> rather than bring these women down you know because in in like historically women have not a lot been allowed to have the space to be opinionated mm-hmm. it's really nice to see women like highlight these this characteristic because it is so important absolutely so we're gonna again split this interview up into two episodes because it was rather long but um we're gonna do part one today so that's what's up next um but again just make sure that you're subscribed to our podcast on whatever platform you listen to so that you don't miss all of the amazing content we have, including these fabulous lives of Bollywood wives recaps that we're going to be doing. I mean, I have so much to say. I can't wait. Um, And also, well, we'll talk about it in the recap. So you got to listen to it. You got to listen to it. Okay. So um, thank you all for listening. We love you all. And let's get into the first part of our interview with Elise Slane from the Real Housewives of New York. Thank you. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. This is such a treat for the both of us because we are huge fans of you. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, I actually think that on... So I I have to admit that I started watching The Housewives for the first time this year and I've gone in like deep. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I feel like of all the ones that have aired since the spring, like you have been my favorite cast member or well, friend of or whatever, but person on all of them, just because I feel like you're so honest. Right. We were talking before um, when we were planning the interview, just what a straight shooter you are. Thank you. Have you always been like that? I have. And what do you attribute it to? Um, I've always been the voice of reason and... So I really got a kick out of when the papers started writing about me that they were actually articles calling me the voice of reason because that's really what my reputation has always been. I'm I'm more logical than emotional, um, more cerebral. So I probably attribute it to that, to just sort of my whole, the way I, I think about business or I think about life, I think about relationships. I'm I'm calm and... I usually put my brain in gear before my mouth in motion. So maybe it did not make as good, you know, TV as the women who were like, you know, ah, I'm going crazy. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, I have enough of a fan base. So obviously people did welcome um, a voice, you know, a rational voice, I think. Well, I think it, things get so irrational in general on the Housewives I find myself always looking for what would be my voice in in um, the environment. And that's where I felt like you were the audience reaction. Right, right. I mean, people have said to me that they would be screaming something at the TV and then it comes out of my mouth. Yeah, 
Exactly. So, so were, did you grow up in New York? I grew up on Long Island in Stony Brook. So I went to high school on, I, I know Long Island. I went to high school in Cold Spring Harbor. Oh, sure. Okay. I dated a guy that went to Cold Spring Harbor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, I came to the city for uh, my, my career. I started my career as a financial journalist and then transitioned into trading. Can we talk about um, how many women were in your industry when you started versus and what that was like? Because I'm sure it's it wasn't as abundant at it, as it is now. So I was one of the first female bond traders at Kendra Fitzgerald. Wow. Wow. I understand why the Me Too movement came to exist. Do I think the pendulum went too far the other way? I do. But there mm-hmm. was a real need for it. Um, I always said that one day I would write a book or a screenplay what it was like basically growing up a young girl on Wall Street because yeah, there were no boundaries or guidelines on what can and cannot be said, um, propositions that were made, threats that were made. So it was it was an interesting time, but one thing I think I learned when I was pretty young was how to use the fact that I knew guys wanted to sleep with me, right? So and that wasn't going to happen because I wasn't going to compromise my career, but I did learn how to balance that, oh, okay, so they want to do business with me because they think I'm hot. Okay, that's fine. You think I'm a pawn? Guess what? I just played you. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yes. I love that. Um, so it was, but my motto was think like a man, act like a lady, and work like a dog. And did you have any mentors at the time, or did you feel like you had to be your own mentor? I had to be my own mentor. Women, unfortunately, did not stick together on Wall Street. So if there was another woman, she try to really cut you down rather than support you, Um, which unfortunately still exists today as much as, you know, people are, you know, I'm a, I'm a girl's girl supporting women, you know, bullshit. Right. (laughs) So, um, so I, I was, I was used to that when I was young and, you know, now I do try to surround myself with women who are very supportive, but, No, women were not your mentors and men were not your mentors, right? So the men would try and screw you one way and the women would try and screw you another way. Yeah, that's an interesting phenomenon with women in industries where you don't typically see them because I feel like because there's so few, like in your case, that it makes you naturally competitive because you're trying to prove yourself so much in that space. I think it's just, it's really too bad for women. And I really hope that the needle moves in a different direction. You know, I I don't know if it's ingrained in nature, right? That, that Mm -hmm. women sort of always females compete with one another, you know, in the animal kingdom, the females compete, right? The males compete too. So I don't know if that kind of, that kind of intuition is, it's nothing that I subscribe to. I have always been very drawn to young um, women who want tough careers. And I am always interested in becoming their mentor. Um, But a lot of people, a lot of women do not feel that way. I think women get threatened by younger women. 
I think it was Ramona's reaction to Leah on the show. I think Mm -hmm. she was threatened by Leah. And as much as she claimed that she was, you know, trying to mother Leah, BS. You would, you know, if, if she was more like mommy dearest, right? Yeah. That's actually really Definitely. good. And so when you say that, did you feel like, because I did feel like now that you mention it, looking back on the show, Leah was a little bit looking for a mentor. And it's especially because it seems like the whole Bravo Liberty, the Bravo universe is a unique one to navigate. And 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 I want to say that just leading back to like your edit is like I feel like you navigated it really well because you weren't you weren't acting the fool on camera. <laughs> right. Right. Um yeah, and and because of that I actually did not get as much camera time. Um there was really mm-hmm. no introduction right. to me, right? So I came on, no one really knew anything about me. And even when I left, nobody really knew anything about me. People got to know me more through doing podcasts or through my social media because I wasn't willing to, and I was being prodded all along, call out Ramona on the way she's treating you. And I wasn't willing to do it until I really felt exasperated and thought, okay, now I I do need to confront her. And I still did it really with kid gloves, but I wasn't. I wasn't willing to run amok and behave in a way that one day I thought, oh, my God, I'm now I'm mortified. I wish I could take that back. I mean, this season, like as someone who's coming into the franchise, like in this season, I was like a little bit shocked by the way all the other women were acting like it was over the top in a bad way too often during the season. And I'm just curious, like, from your impression of actually knowing them and seeing them off camera and stuff like that, was that like a real representation of what was going on? Or was it like putting it on as a show for the camera? I think that they were all pretty much true to who they are. Leah is definitely more rational and calm than you got to see on camera. Mm -hmm. She definitely has that wild side and sort of this unbridled, you know, I, I will not live up to your standards sort of a thing. I'll march to the beat of my own drum. That's definitely her. And, you know, would she get naked and throw tiki torches (laughs) if she were in my backyard and the cameras weren't there? Well, she didn't. She spent a week with me in the Hamptons, but I don't have tiki torches. So, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. But um, (laughs) I think that it was hard for her because Ramona and Sonia were very tough on her coming in and she was trying to find her, her footing and her stride. So I think that was difficult. Um, Sonia's true to who she is, as is Ramona, as is Luann Tinsley. I think what you saw was really who they are. Mm-hmm. I have a question, actually, because you seem more a little bit more worldly in the sense they try to make it an uptown versus downtown thing. And, and it seems like that you were one of the only ones who didn't see it like like it wasn't like Leah was this like foreigner that was coming up into your world did you think that it was exaggerated a little bit uh, no i no i think ramona is definitely an elitist mm-hmm. as is luann which i'm quite i'm not quite sure what they're basing it on either <laughs> right right um 
you know, at least, you know, I know Ramona made her own money before the show, but Luann just married it, you know, so I don't quite right. understand her greater, greater than thou attitude. And I've never approached life that way. So I've, my friends are the most eclectic group of people. You know, my, I'm not stuck in the Ramona 50 friend group. Uh, that was, you know, one <laughs> right. circle of my friends. Right. But I have a very diverse group of friends from all walks of life. And that was not something that some of the other girls could wrap their arms around. And it's, it was their loss, right? Because yeah, right. You could, and I've said this to my daughter, and I'm like, you can learn something from everyone, mm -hmm. right? You know, whether mm -hmm. you know, even there's this homeless guy that I've gotten to know very well. He's always outside of Nobu. His name is Carl, <laughs> and things come out of his mm -hmm. mouth that, like, I'm just stunned, <laughs> you know, like about politics or something, you know. And I was like. Wow, Carl, where are you getting your information from? But he said some really insightful things to me that I would, I walk away and I find myself thinking about it hours later. Like, oh, wow, you know, he had a good point. Right. So I do feel like everybody brings something to the table. You just have to be smart enough to be willing to take a taste. I think that I really gravitated towards that aspect of your personality. It just showed that you're open to more things than a lot of the other cast members. They are just very uptown, don't have time for anything else. And I think Leah was so refreshing because she was like, I have this other perspective. Like I live in like a normal apartment, <laughs> you know, like. Which is so, still expensive. Which is still expensive. But like when Luann went to her house, and was like, you know, I was like, what is this about? Which really pissed me off. That, re you know, I mean. Yeah. Can we talk about your feelings about that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. No, that was very off-putting. And Luann was certainly not one to be throwing stones. Leah is self-made. Right. Uh, Leah completely su supports her daughter. Mm -hmm. she, she, she's, she's scrappy. And if it wasn't for the show, Leah would still be making money, right? Leah's income is not from the show right now. Right. Not yet. Eventually it will be, but right now it's not. And she's very scrappy. And it really pissed me off that Luann had that attitude. I mean, I, look, everything about Luann with the, you know, money can't buy me class. And right. I'm thinking, well, obviously. Yeah. You know? <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> totally. Um, you know, but um, yeah, I just I, I don't subscribe to that. And it's why I guess I didn't really get along with them. So for for those of us that are um, really looking up to you and, you know, being a successful woman, can you can you give us a little bit of like more, a short history of where when you moved to the city, where did you move? What kind of apartment did you live in and how did you kind of like build your wealth if you don't not okay. saying we need to sure. talk numbers, but just, you know, it's it's so it, it's it's rarer than people think that we, you know, see women like you, successful women that have just made it on their own in New York, Thank you. in New York. So when I was in college, I started to really take a real interest in Wall Street and I got a job at Drexel Burnham, which was uh, the they were known for high yield bonds, right? Junk bonds. Mm -hmm. And they're the ones that Giuliani, when he was a prosecutor, actually put out of business. But 
Drexel Burnham gave birth to Michael Milken and uh-huh. um, Boski, that whole that whole era. Right. So I was working at Drexel Burnham as a broker's assistant and actually got my Series 7 then. And where were and you living at the time in New York? I was in school. I was. I went to purchase. I actually went to a performing arts school. Oh, okay. What? And then when the dorms closed yes. for the summer, I lived out of my car for a while wow. so I could keep my job what? at Drexel Burnham oh, because my God. I couldn't afford an apartment. And I would literally, I had my clothes and in my car and I would use the the gym at Drexel Burnham to shower in the morning. And then I did that for a couple of weeks. And then I rented a cot in this woman's kitchen. In, Wait. In this, <laughs> we need, um, this is, this is the real tea right yeah. here that we needed. And she had, this woman rescued animals. So she had like, 30 dogs and 40 cats. And unbeknownst to me, I was allergic to most dogs and all cats. So I was always sick and didn't know why. And there was a time that until she got to know me, she wouldn't even let me use the bathroom with the shower. I was like sponge bathing out of the sink in the kitchen and washing my hair over the sink. And then finally she was like, okay, you can use the shower. Oh, you cannot make this shit up. I know. (laughs) This is a true New York City rags to riches. You need to write a book. (laughs) Yes. So, and I always loved writing and I loved finance. And I saw a job for a news assistant at Reuters. Mm -hmm. So I went on this job interview. I remember I... I got a skirt from this, oh, I can't remember the name of the store. It was a very inexpensive store. I think the whole suit, the skirt and the blazer was something like, you know, $65 yeah. or something. Mm-hmm. And I was, it was uh, at the style at the time, you wore skirts sort of to your calf mm-hmm. and sort of pencil skirts. And I was the subway had gotten stuck for a while, so now I was worried I was running late for my interview. It was at 700 Broadway. That's where Reuters was. Mm-hmm. And I was running up the steps of the subway station, and I tripped, and I tore <gasps> my skirt, literally the whole back hem. Because it was cheap? Because it was cheap. <laughs> all the way up to the waist. <gasps> like, when I fell, oh. the guy behind me got a full moon. Oh. And he literally... <laughs> <laughs> he literally said to me, there is a God. <laughs> oh, my God. You put on a show for those. For oh, those my guys. God. Now I had to get to my interview and I have no time to fix my skirt. Oh my so I literally twisted it. So the slit came oh, up the side. Smart. You know, what was I going to do? So I'm sitting there waiting for the editor to come out to call me in for the interview. And of course, I can't hold it together because it's like a pencil skirt. Oh, my God. So you, you really see my entire leg is exposed. Oh, wow. And during the interview, and I, you know, I, I apologize. I said, I, I fell and my, my skirt ripped and I didn't want to be late for the interview. So I apologized. And he didn't take his eyes off my leg the entire interview. 
And whereas I think I was qualified for the job, I definitely got it based on that ripped skirt. I'm sure <laughs> to this day, you know, <laughs> because I didn't have to come back for a second interview. Like at the end of our interview, he just sent me to human resources to like <gasps> sign on as a news oh assistant. My hired God. on the spot. Hired on the spot. Wow. And then as a news assistant, I started to get very... Um, interested in the mortgage-backed securities market, which was very new. Nobody really understood it. The spreads were huge. No one understood um, collateralized mortgage obligations and how people were bundling mortgage-backed securities. So I was reaching out to traders now because I was at Reuters. Traders would speak to me at major Wall Street firms. And that's where I was getting my education was from traders. And then I started working with the at, while I was still in editorial, I worked with the marketing department to get traders to contribute information to us at Reuters. And so doing that, I finally got promoted to journalists mm -hmm. because I knew the market so well. I knew all the traders. And so I became a journalist and I was getting some great bylines. And after a while, I thought, well, these bylines are great, but I'd rather have a bonus, right? So I was living in this little studio apartment in Queens. It was a walk up and I had like metal gates on my windows <laughs> yeah. because mm -hmm. someone could climb up the fire escape. <laughs> and then I left my little studio in Queens and I moved in with a bunch of friends from college. So there were seven of us in a three bedroom apartment. Oh, of so course. we just sort of slept wherever we could. Yeah. And wow. then when I got my job um, in sales trading at Sailor O'Neill. I could now afford a decent studio apartment. So I lived on 53rd between 1st and 2nd right. in this adorable little studio. Oh, my God. And from there, I went to Cantor Fitzgerald, and that's when I really started making money. And then I went into selling technical analysis to Wall Street, and I became the number one person globally for a company called Knight Ritter. And that's when I was, I, I now made it. <laughs> and then I went into trading my own money and I trade cryptocurrency now. Is that, so that's what you do now? That's what I do now. And then, so, so you don't work for anyone, you work for yourself. I work for myself. Wow. When you look back through and you talk about your, your history, is it like fond memories or is it just like, wow, like I really had a struggle to get to where I am? It's both. So I had, I remember I had a friend that came from money and went to all the, you know, private school growing right. up and everything. And her parents subsidized her and she wanted to go to Atlantic City for a weekend. Yeah. So I thought, all right, I'm early 20s, I could do this. And I went to Atlantic City, but I had basically $50. And I, if I lost that, I could not risk anymore. Otherwise, I couldn't pay my mm -hmm. rent. And she was losing thousands of dollars. I lost my $50 in the first five years. <laughs> oh, my God. Of course. Why I became a trader for a living is beyond me yeah. because gambling did not seem to suit me. <laughs> but I remember feeling a little resentful of her, mm -hmm. thinking, wow, yeah. she just, she's losing thousands of dollars. She's not stopping herself. She's just having this great time. I felt sick that I lost my $50. But in hindsight... It was good for me right. because I take I take nothing for granted. Yeah, um, and I try to instill those same values in my daughter, who yes, who did grow up now living a privileged life. However, 
There's nothing about this kid that's an elitist. There's nothing about this kid where she doesn't work hard for everything. She, I made her get internships during the summers when she was in high school and in college. Now she works 14, 15 hours a day. She's with a hedge fund. So I think that struggling was good for me. And I think it's why I'm grounded. I was going to say, like, how when you see the people around you in not necessarily friends, but the people surrounding you where you live and your relationship to money versus their relationship to money, maybe those have who have married in like I'm not saying specifically Luann. Like, how do you think yours is the same or different? I have always lived well, not always, when I, since I started making money mm-hmm. um, to this day, I live below my means. I'm, I'm a saver. I'm not, yeah. people love, love to talk to me about fashion and stuff like that. I've never gotten into, there was a time, there was right. a time when I was unhappy in my first marriage where I became materialistic mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then that time passed. So I wasn't, I didn't grow up that way. I'm not that way now, but it was a moment in time because mm-hmm. I think that when we have a void, we try to fill it and some people totally. fill it with, you know, drinking or, you know, whatever vices they have. Yeah. I started to get become more materialistic mm-hmm. and then I realized, well, that doesn't make me happy, nor does it make anyone else happy, but I see them still doing mm-hmm. it. But I definitely, I'm, I'm conservative. I do believe in giving back and I don't give back in a way that I need the the big galas and the big gowns and all the accolades to do it. And I tend to find it a little, a little funny. I don't know if funny is the right word, but I think I judge it a bit when I see these women only giving back because they want to be on a board and they want the attention as opposed to, I believe in just get your hands dirty and get in there. You know, I, I have mentored young kids over the years, help them prep for college, tutor them in classes that they're struggling in. And I'll write the check without anybody knowing that I did it. And so that I think is a difference between me and some of the other people. So what's your number one advice for, you know, because a lot of people that are listening to this podcast are, you know, figuring out their relationship to money. What's like your number one advice? Because you've been down at the bottom and you've are now seems like up at the top. Mm -hmm. Like how, what's your advice? Like how not necessarily building more wealth, but like people that feel like very lost with their financial situation. Right. A lot of people have asked me for for financial advice. And I actually, I don't recommend crypto trading to people because okay. it's a very risky yeah. business. Um, I'm a big proponent in saving and investing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you, if, if it's still a financial struggle for you, you have to invest in things that are a safe haven. Yeah. Um, e- ETFs or mm-hmm. fixed income nothing that you're going to lose with the volatility of the stock market. Cause I always say, don't risk what you're not willing to lose. Yeah. 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 And saving. I mean, I just, I see a lot of young girls, 
you know, shopping at even even the rail rail, you know, if right? They, it's because they think, oh, well, it's it's not so expensive, but yet you're still spending all your savings doing that. Yeah. Well, and I think that's the hard thing um, is because you watch, you know, like you all on television, and you have like the quilted Chanel handbags, <laughs> and right. and more than one, and so people that are watching are thinking like oh, I, I need this too. There's something, you know, to be more like you all or, or just to feel like, you know, again, it, it could be filling that void that you have. So the, the wealthiest women I know uh-huh. are not happy. Yeah. They're not happy with themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason why yeah. I think people shop so much is because once you get a quilted Chanel handbag and you've used it once, now you're bored. Yeah. Right. And now that void is still there. So now you've got to buy the next thing to fill the void. And then in a day that gets old. So the material things are never what's really going to buy happiness. There's the basic needs that money mm-hmm. money ge- gives you right so i mean you the maslow's hierarchy of needs you need the new the need for food and for shelter mm-hmm. um and as you go up the hierarchy of needs what you really need is connections and right. especially in now and love right. right right so i i understand it's easy for someone to say for the longest time, so now with my my new husband, who you just yes, met, who's gorgeous, we love he him. Is so handsome. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so we've been together for seven years and married for two years. Pre- prior to that, in my first marriage, where my husband and I started out with a mattress on the floor in a studio apartment, and then we both grew into a very nice lifestyle. I would say, and that was a seventeen-year-old, a seventeen-year marriage. The happiest we were mm. was with that mattress on the floor in the That's studio That's what apartment. people need to hear, I yes, think. Yes, totally. Because we see you. I'm saying we as the collective, we see you on right. television. And I, I'm not saying you're not happy, but the fact that you look back at that moment with so much f- fondness is so important for people like us to hear. Yeah. Right. And can you say why specifically? Because... We didn't have the we didn't have the extra income to be competing with the Joneses yeah. or filling mm-hmm. our things up with material things. And we focused on ourselves as individuals and us as a couple. And the communication was better. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think the more the more money that we made the more we started to want to explore things outside of the marriage. Right. Or then you start all of a sudden keeping up with Joneses. Well, so-and-so went here on vacation. Yes. Why don't we do that? Yeah. And it's a very dangerous path to go down. And I'm not going to say, I will always say that having money is good for stability. Mm-hmm. And it does right. afford you a very nice lifestyle or to build memories together. But... My my husband and I now, I mean, we, I have a, a dog who's not well. And so I don't really oh gosh, want I'm to so leave her sorry. with anyone. And so thank you. Oh. Um, so we haven't, even before the pandemic, weren't really traveling because I didn't trust anyone to give my dog all the medication she needs and stuff. But he and I laugh so much. Yeah. We have such a great time. We'll put on music and we like dance in the apartment. And 
you know, yes, I have the house in the Hamptons. I'm not going to downplay what I have and pretend, oh, well, that doesn't matter. Of mm -hmm. course it does. But I have, I find joy in things that actually don't require a lot of money. Yeah. And I think that's a really important message right now during COVID when right. people are like, I can't do these things. I can't spend my money. It's like bringing us back to the simple everyday things, the connections with our family that make us happy as well. Right. Well, and especially every, you know, everyone's in debt for different reasons, right? Mm -hmm. And especially in America. And, um, you know, we think we we deserve this $70,000 car to drive it around. But <laughs> yeah. it's like, what does that really represent? Yeah. Right. You know, other than kind of like fulfilling a status quo of some sort. Right. And it's very easy to get caught up in it. And like totally. I said, I did, you know, and mm -hmm. there was a time where, you know, it was, yeah, I want that that dress and I want to go to that party and be with these people. And guess what? At the end of the day, these people weren't the people who had my back. Yeah. Right. What did that dress mean? That dress sat in the closet yes. and got old. Yeah. Right. It's so it's at it's it's the people who you could call in the middle of the night and say, don't ask any questions. Just be here at yeah. two in the morning. I need you. Yeah. It's the people that show up for you. And those aren't the people that you need to keep up with or impress with money. Totally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you're t you've talked a lot about like the professional side of your life and we're getting a little bit more into the personal side. But I'm sort of curious, like, what were the personal things happening with you as you're like coming up through your yeah. professional life and everything living in New York? I mean, uh, what were my struggles? Yeah, your struggles, your ups and downs, like, you know, there's there's so much to life other than just professionally. So just curious about that. Right. I think that I wasn't focused on other struggles other than my career mm. as I was like in my 20s and 30s because I just worked so hard in wanting to make it. Mm -hmm. So I was a little a little oblivious maybe yeah. to other things going on. Dating and Knockwood, for some reason, I always had a very easy time meeting guys which is why I give my dating advice. <laughs> what yes. is your dating advice? <laughs> Have you seen my Instagram? Oh, I yeah. whole yeah. thing on yeah. dating advice. Uh, I've gotten four couples married that I've introduced. What? And I've coached a Oh, yes. Yes, I'm going to heaven. We need to start what? an Elise matchmaking show. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good at, at putting people together. And I've also connected friendships. Can so we talk about finding your connection? How, okay. Yeah. And and then we'll segue into, did you think you found like your connection with Ramona and kind of going into that? But like for, for all of us that are, um, you know, looking for a connection, either romantic or friendship wise, like what is your advice to figure out if like, say like, you know, Indra and I are connected and I know she's the right one. But like, <laughs> what is how do you know if this person is you can call them at 2 a.m. or if this person you should marry them or maybe should pull out of the relationship, especially as you get older, too? Yeah, I think exactly. Right. So I think that people need to, for one, go a little bit outside their comfort zone. Mm. You may think you're attracted to one type, but yet that just keeps not working out for you. Therefore, you may be drawn to the wrong, to the person who's actually not best suited for your personality. Um, Reinhold is an introvert. 
right? If you, I know mm. if you guys have ever done Myers Briggs, mm-hmm. yeah, right. He's an introvert. I'm more of an extrovert. I never would have thought that I would have been drawn to an introvert. I always thought I wanted the guy that commanded right. the room. And at the end of the day, that guy sort of bored me. And I was drawn to Rhino because he's very cerebral and we have incredible conversations. And when someone takes an interest in you, your partner should be the wind beneath your wings, yes. your cheerleader while you're soaring high mm-hmm. and catch you when you fall. And that's the person you know that you can call in the middle of the night. When when there is an altercation, they don't go for the juggler. They don't betray all the things you confided in them and use it against you. When there's When there's a disagreement, you talk about the issue at hand and what you are disagreeing about. You don't bring in everything else because words wound. Mm -hmm. And long after you forget what you're fighting about, you will remember the mean things that are said. Yeah, that's so true. And that's it for part one of our two-part interview with Elise Lane from The Real Housewives of New York. Make sure you are subscribed to our podcast so you don't miss the second part of this interview where we get into Elise's entire history with Ramona and how everything went down during season 12 of the show and after. Thanks for listening.